Welcome to the Bowen Christian Family Centre podcast channel. You're about to hear a message recorded at one of our Sunday gatherings. We pray you are blessed and enjoy this inspiring message. Oh, we'll see the power of God. Oh, we'll see the power of God. You know, the Bible says that creation is a silent witness, that if we shut up, creation will speak of the creative powers of God. I don't want no rock crying out in my place. I don't want no tree to say, show God, the world, this world, the power of my God. I want to speak that power. I want to be that power walking on the face of this world. I want to be that representative of heaven's power and majesty in here in this community of Bowen. Amen? In this town. It's not a, saints, it's no longer about us. Amen? It's no longer about us. You gave your life to him. You lost your life when you gave it to him. It's all about him now. Hallelujah. So I want to get into this morning, and to do that, uh, the, we need to read from Ephesians 3.20. So we're going to do this, and I got this on Monday, so uh, apart from all the uh, traveling around, I put together the sermon. Uh, most of this was written under a tree while I was sitting at Dreamwell, uh, Waterwell, waiting for the kids to come back. And uh, so I spent all the day sitting under a tree. Um, so I, 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 um, I pray that you'll take something home from this this morning. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who was able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. In verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And of course, there's a theme with that. And uh, the theme is, there is more. There is more. And when, uh, when I got this on, on Monday uh, by text, the first thing that came to mind was this uh, picture of, of Oliver Twist. You've seen the, where he's standing there with a bowl of empty, an empty bowl. And he's standing there and there's this big dude sitting on the table and he walks up to this big dude and he says, please, sir, can I have some more? Well, basically, can I have more? So I had that picture in my mind, and I'm thinking, what more do we, do we want? What more do we really want? Uh, in terms of the things we have in Christ, do you want more faith? Well, Jesus says, if I have faith as a mustard seed, I can move mountains. He, uh, do we want more power? Jesus says, in my name, you'll cast out, heal, and deliver. Do we want more authority? Jesus said, all authority is mine. Then he said, I send you with that authority. Do we want more financial security? My father owns a cattle on a thousand hills. What more do I really want? What more do I want? If I have everything in Christ Jesus, what more can I ask for? And yet the writer of Ephesians challenges us with this thought. Hallelujah. God who has given us so much and we understand the much that we have Paul challenges with the idea to ask for more not because we need more or because we want more but because he is able to do more than we could ever ask or imagine do you get that? it's not because we want more or we need more 
is probably ask for more because he can do more than you ever want. Hallelujah. You understand that? Our God has immeasurable faith. He can do more than we can even imagine. Can you imagine that? Imagining more. Hallelujah. What more could I want? Now, if you say Ferrari, I'll throw something at you. You don't need that. But what more could I possibly want? And yet, that's what we're going to tackle this week. And I'm sure you're going to hear several different variations of the more. But from my perspective, I'm going to look at two issues here that I believe can be brought to light. The first one is accessibility, and the second one is credibility. So in verse 20, it says, to him who is able. We understand that. We have access to God. He is the one who is able to do more than we could ask or think. We have access to the one who has more, can do more than we can ask or think. Accessibility. He says, come in boldly. Come in to the presence of God. So accessibility is one thought I want to bring to the table this morning. Credibility, in verse 21, it says, to him be the glory. See, you can do more, but he gets the glory. Because we have to understand first, we can do no more without him. Hallelujah. You know, you have strengths that are given to you, natural strengths and abilities. You have a mind. God's people can think for themselves, really. God gave you a mind so that you might think. I love Ravi Jack and Zacharias's, um, um, um radio show, and it says that the, the, the theme of it is, let my people think. So we can do these things. But like Paul, we have to come to a place where we say, everything that I know, everything that I can do, every strength that I have, every power that I'm capable of, I consider as rubbish in the light of what he is or who he is in my life. We have to give up that he might excel in every circumstance. For he is the glory. To him be the glory. He will not share his glory with us. It's not me doing this. It's him. To God be the glory. So two things. Credibility and accessibility. Hallelujah. See, we are his sons and daughters. Amen. But imagine if your son or daughter, if you have sons and daughters, imagine if all they came before you every day and all they did was ask, 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 ask and never gave anything back. Now, I have three children. No, she's not small. I better not go any further. You know, sometimes I have to, when I was, you know, if I counsel or if I talk to Families, young families, sometimes they can't see past the moment. And so a lot of the times I have to sit down with them and I say to them, you have to see beyond this moment. If you're going to survive this journey, you've got to see beyond the moment to the moment when you're sitting at the table with them and having an intelligent conversation. Because they've got that point, it's just rubbish. <laughs> it's just bleh, bleh, bleh. I mean, I don't know how many TV programs I watched when my kids were growing up, but I couldn't watch anything else. But the, the wife was a very strict individual. And if I was watching TV and they, the kids wanted to come in and watch something, it would be theirs choice rather than mine. Like don't be a don't be a don't be what do you call it? Don't be stingy. 
now the grandkids are coming in and, and, and I've got three TVs and they're flogging every one of them. If Evie's in the front watching her TV and I'm sitting in my TV, she'll come in and sit with me. Then I have to turn my channel over to her program. If I don't do that, I'm the meanest person on the face of the earth. It's not like, yeah, go and watch your own TV. No, that's not possible. It's because mine's better for some reason. Same program. Anyway, we won't get into that. Hallelujah. We have access to God. And I believe, according to uh, Ephesians, I believe we have access for a reason. I believe that as we grow, access to God becomes more mature in its requests. It's not for me anymore. I'm coming on behalf of somebody else. Amen? So we have so much. We have so much to thank God for, and we have so much that we don't need anymore. But God says, Paul says in Ephesians, ask God for more. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. We have so much already. Why ask for more? I love what um, I just read it down here was while my young sister here was speaking. And I, and I love what you said. Um, can anyone, have you ever seen anyone so sick you just want to see them raised out of their bed? Remember saying that? Is that what I said? Is that a quote? Yeah? Do you need to correct that? See, I, I don't write well. I mean, I'm trying to read my own writing. Um, ever seen anyone so sick, you just want to see them raised out of their bed? Well, you know that we have access to the one who was able to make that possible. But I don't believe it's a case, really, as, as I understand it. I don't believe it's a case of saying, God, raise them up. I believe God has given us power to go lay hands on the sick and raise them up from their sick bed. We just have to believe as we move by faith. You understand what I'm saying? A lot of times we sit back and we say, God, do this, God, do that. And he says, no, you do it. You do it. But I believe we have to be moved by compassion, not by any other stream of emotion. And let faith rise in our hearts. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit more because I love what and that, that really spoke to me this morning. Have you ever seen someone so sick you just want to see them right? I've seen sick people. I've not always felt that they should lay hands on them or raise them up from their sick bed. But when my family gets sick, that's when I fall on my face before God. That's when I get down on my knees and begin to pray. But wouldn't we, wouldn't we make a moment? Wouldn't we have a moment if we moved in that same compassion for everybody on the face of the globe, whether they're family or not? Anyway, let's put that to the side a moment. Hallelujah. Okay. So I want to bring some balance to the idea of asking. Because it seems to me like if all we did was ask, 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 and gave nothing back, you know, that relationship could put a, put a strain on that relationship. I know it would have put a strain on mine. My, I mean, my, my, I married a very demanding wife, but every now and again I get something back from that relationship. See, James 4.1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Speaking in terms of Christians, 
speaking in terms of brothers and, and sisters in the faith. And he says, um, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire that battles within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. Uh, in scriptural terms, hating your brother is killing. Amen? It's, it's, the Bible, in, a, the, in the Old Testament, thou shalt not kill. In the New Testament, Jesus said, if you hate your brother, you murder him. So in that context, you desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get so what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And in verse 3 is interesting. It says this. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. See, we don't have because we don't ask. And even if we do ask, we don't receive because of wrong motive. I think Paul says, ask. James says, ask. But check your motive. Why are you asking? We have access to God, but the things that you ask for could be turned. I mean, I've, I've lived in this thing long enough to know, and I've heard statements made. It says that when you ask, there are three reasons why you don't receive. He will, God will, well, God will always answer, but it will be yes, wait, or no. And so we have to accept that, that when we ask, God's going to say one of those three things. But I believe it's more about your motive. Why are you asking? I don't believe it's about yes, no, maybe. Because God's able to do it anyway. And he wants to do it. He says that. I want to do what you ask of me. All you have to do is ask. But I believe you have to check motive. Why do you want what you ask for? And if you want to send it, spend it on yourself, your own pleasures, then you may get a no as an answer. Understand that? There's a balance there. Ask, but ask with right motive. Okay, let's go on with this story. I want to bring to light the story of Mark 10, 17, and a story of a rich young ruler. Mark 10, 17. I'm going to read that, and then we're going to break it down. I love it. This says, you know, the, uh, as an introduction, the rich young ruler. In verse 17, And when he had gone far forth into the way, there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? I want you to drop down now, uh, right down to the bottom here. Uh, in verse 21, And Jesus, beholding him, Remember in the first verse, he says, what might I do that, that I might have eternal life? What must I do? And in verse 21, Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said unto him, one thing thou lackest, go thy way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. Come, take up your cross and follow me. And in verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved for he had great possession or he had much. So that's the reading now let's break that down a little bit. Some of the things that sort of stuck out to me um, in verse 21 where Jesus looked at him, loved him and said, one thing they lack us. See, what interests me about that response is that that's not what, that's not what 
The young man asked, this man had everything. He was uh, rich. He was young. I mean, how many people my age spend so much money just trying to get youth or get youthful looking? Um, So any one of those three things would have been sufficient. But he had all of them. He had youth. He was um, rich. He was a ruler. So he had power, authority. He had financial security, everything that we'd probably look for in life. He had it all in this one person. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? Jesus says, hey, one thing you lack. And that wasn't, that wasn't the question. So he didn't ask what I lacked. He asked, what shall I do? It seemed that he lacked nothing. And, didn't, and Paul said, and this is what we're reading from this morning, ask for more, didn't didn't Paul say, ask for more? God, who is unmeasurable riches, he's, he invites us into his presence to ask for more, more than what you have. And so the challenge in this story is, why didn't Jesus just say to him, well, you have all this and that's great, but I'll give you eternal life. Didn't Jesus come to give us eternal life? He didn't say we have to pay for it. He didn't say we have to do anything to accumulate this. So this young man, in asking, was simply asking what Jesus said he would bring. He promises us eternal life. He didn't pro- I didn't have to pay for it. I didn't have to do anything for it. He just says, I'm going to give you eternal life. And yet this young man comes along. He says, no, you've got to sell everything that you have. Then I'll give you what you want. Don't you think that's challenging? Like, we have so much in this life. I mean, I've got family. I've got, um, I drive a Hyundai. What more could you want? I mean, you know, we have so much in this life. And I've never read where Jesus says, sell all you have so that you might inherit. Because everything was freely given. He gave us eternal life. He's never asked of me that I would sell my Hyundai and Holden and my boat, and my golf clubs. He's never asked me to sell those things, give it to somebody less fortunate than myself, and then you'll hear what I've, what I've promised. We've, we've never sort of focused in that idea that, that it costs something, uh, something. It costs us something. That eternal life costs us something. You see what I'm saying here this morning, saints? You see what I'm saying? What if he asked you to give up everything that you might inherit? Would you pay that price? Would you pay that price? Would you give up family? Give up your job, your security? Give up your inheritance? Everything. This young man was asked to do just that. Give everything that you have. Sell it. Give it to the poor. Then come follow. Okay, so I thought that was spectacular. I thought it was, I thought it was challenging. See, so this man had more than most. He had wealth, power, authority, and his youth. And um, he was asking for this one more thing. Give me eternal life as well. And Jesus challenged him with that, with that idea that you lack something. That something is lacking in your life. There's something you need to do that you might inherit. So Jesus said to him, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven. There's the answer to that question. It says giving to the poor, by giving to the poor, by selling all that you have, And giving that to the poor, 
you will have treasures in heaven, but you won't have eternal life. That issue is not part of that process or part of that conversation. So you sell all that you have that you might have treasures in heaven, but you don't have eternal life. Then he says, come follow me. And I believe this is the answer to the question of eternal life by following Jesus. Do you know that Jesus is the way to eternal life? It's not by a means or a mechanism. It's by an individual, a person, that you follow that person. He he was going to heaven. He was rising up. He was going to leave the earth. The disciples said to him, where are you going? He said, I'm going home. I'm going up to heaven. And he said, can we come too? He said, no, you can't come now, but you will come. You can follow. And he said, well, how do we know the way? He said, Jesus said to them, you know the way. And they said, well, how can we know the way? You haven't told us anything. We've just been following you. But it's in following Jesus that leads you to eternal life. Eternal life is not given. It's something that's added to you as you go, as you follow Jesus. You see what I'm saying this morning? To have eternal life is in the following. See, Jesus was saying to his disciples, you've followed me for three years, and by following me, you'll be where I am. Amen? Understand that? By following Jesus. What does that mean? It means that whatever he says to you, we are to do it. Yeah? The trail is obedience. It's by walking in obedience to God's will, to God's word. See, his word is a light to my path, a guide for my feet. His word is a light to my path. What he says is the way to eternal life. The only way you're going to find that is by following the footsteps of Jesus. You can't buy into this because you have money. You can't buy into this because you have power. You can't buy into this because you have authority. You have to follow Jesus. From the richest to the poorest, from the smallest to the greatest, all must follow Jesus. And whatever he says to you, that's what you have to do. So he might not demand of me my possessions, but he demands of me something. He will demand of you something. He will demand your obedience. Amen? This is all about him, saints. It's all about him. We can't have it our own way. We have to buy into this by our obedience. And whatever he asks you to do, that do it. I love the first miracle that Jesus ever did. It was in the wedding at Canaan. And uh, Mary, this amazing woman, uh, they ran out of wine. So this, um, they came to Mary and spoke to her. And she said, oh, I'll go and speak to Jesus. So she goes and speaks to Jesus. And he says something like, it almost seems like a rebuke or a, or a hesitant uh, response. Uh, she says, I've run out of wine. He says, what's that got to do with me? And then she walks away and she makes this amazing statement. She says, whatever he says to you, do it. Don't you think that's amazing? What's, what's this got to do with me? It's not my time yet. And she walks away and says to the young men, Whatever he says. Now, he says something really peculiar. He says, go and fill some water bottles up with water. And so they do that, and when they brought it out, it's wine. But it was in the doing, in the following of his directions, that made that miracle an amazing miracle. And it's by doing what he says to us, it's by doing what he says that we're going to see an amazing year. Amen? It's by doing what he says, not because we want it, but because in our obedience, he's going to bless us. Hallelujah. That's where the blessing is. Not in us wanting to do something, but us being obedient to what he wills us to do. See, we want to do so much for God. Amen. I want to just go and save this world. I just want to get out there. But you're not going to do anything without him. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. For God to, for him to the glory. Amen. To God be the glory. I've just got to keep drinking. I think I've drained myself. I think I've got my water in me. Hallelujah. So this rich young man went, to, went away because he said, Bible says he had so much to give. And you know, the sad thing is, sometimes we'll walk away from God because what he's asked of us is too demanding. I, um, our pastors, Pastor John and Helen, they left home and family to come up here to serve this community. They left everything behind to come serve this community. That's sacrificial lifestyle, amen? That's sacrificial living. It's when you're prepared to give everything up to follow that leads the pathway to life eternal. Amen? I'm sure, I'm sure that I'm sure that today God is asking us to give up something. Not so that we might have salvation, but we might learn what it is to walk in obedience to God. Do you know that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered? This saintly person who knew no sin learned obedience by the things that he suffered. And we're going to learn obedience by the same way, by doing what he's asked, even if it means suffering of some sort. Okay, so he says, come follow me and you will have eternal life. So we have access to God, but what a price. Jesus essentially said to this man, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. I'm going to read you from Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said these words. He said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny him, deny themselves, brain freeze, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Understand, saints, if you want to hang on to this, you're going to lose your life. This is going to kill you. Everything this world has to offer is going to kill you. But if you're prepared to let it go, you'll live. Amen? If you're prepared to let it go, what are you prepared to pay? Are you prepared to pay the price of following in the footsteps of Jesus? Whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. In verse 26, listen to this now. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The question this morning, is wealth, power, authority worthy of such a loss? Credibility. I just want to get in quickly into credibility now. and We're almost over. Credibility is the quality of being believable. Credibility is, a pro, is the... What did I say? Quality of being believable or trustworthy. My young sister here said this morning, God is faithful. God is faithful. He who promised you life is faithful to keep his promise. Amen? He who promised is faithful. Um, as I said prior, you won't find eternal life by the selling the things that you have. You will store treasures in heaven. But you'll follow, in following in the footsteps of Jesus, you'll find life. God is trustworthy. See, the story of Gideon, and I won't go into any great detail, is a story of trustworthiness to God. Now, again, let me give you an example of this. Judges 7 is found, the story is found in Judges 7. Gideon destroyed an army. Now, I heard this number somewhere, and I tried to find it again, but I couldn't find it. But I believe it's a rough estimate of how many men that Gideon was facing. So it was like 
180,000 fully armed men of war. Gideon was facing an army of 180,000 heavily armed warriors with 300. With 300, Gideon didn't start off with 300. He started off with 3,200, 32,000. He started off with 32,000. Let me slow down. Then God says to him, "There's too many for for me to save Israel, because if I save you, if you if I save them with the 32,000, you can think that I did it on my own strength." So I'm going to weed that number out. So from 32,000, he went down to 10,000. God says to Gideon, you've got too many. He's facing an army of 180,000. Keep that in mind. He's got too many with 10,000. God says to him, no, it's too many. Let's go do one more exercise. So he narrows the 10,000 down to 300. Now he says, I've got enough men in your camp to destroy the 180,000 that I might get the victory of. See, Gideon had the victory, sorry. Gideon had the victory, but to God be the glory. God destroyed an army of 180,000, and not one Israelite lifted a sword against their enemy. That's the credibility of God. That's the um, trustworthiness of God. With 300 men, not one of them armed with a sword, all they had was a trumpet and a pitch with fire in it. That's all they went up against for 180,000. And God says, yeah, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready to do a miracle. So you might stand before somebody who's in their sickbed, and they may be facing some dramatic circumstances in their life. You have enough because there's you and God. You don't need many. You have enough when you've got you and God standing at that bedside praying for that person. There's more than enough to meet the need necessary at that moment. Hallelujah. God is trustworthy. God is faithful, and he will do it if we ask of him. Can I have the musicians up, please, mate? Can you just tinker? You see, it's an interesting thought, I thought, as I was putting this together. God even thought they had a chance with 32,000. I thought that was interesting. He actually thought they had a chance with 10,000 against 180,000. I mean, how much confidence is that? you've got a chance? I mean, what, 600 to 1? 60 to 1 or something? That's just crazy odds. And he thought they had a chance. No, I don't want you to get the glory. I want the glory out of this. So he narrowed it down to 300 and said, now I'm ready to take them. Now we're ready because I know with 300 men, we can destroy this army, but I will get the glory out of this, not you. How how, How awesome is that? Hallelujah. You see, it says in the ending of, of, of Ephesians, to God be the glory in the church, in the world, and for, for generations to come. See, my Bible says to me, let's all, can we all stand together, please? My Bible says to me, it is not by might, it is not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is not by the might of the many, It's not by the power of one. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. We can't do this in our own strength. There is more to be had, but it's not more for you. Now, I understand sometimes people need more because Paul says, I learnt to be content. I learnt how to be content. And Paul wrote that while he was sitting in a prison cell waiting to be executed for his crime of being a Christian. 
He says, I am content. We have to learn contentment, to be content with whatever we have and where we are at before we can help the community. We have to be content in ourselves to be at peace with God and to be at peace with man before we can lift a finger to help another person. See, what I'm saying here this morning, saints, you have more than enough to meet the need of this community. They need more, not you. They need you to want more on their behalf. See, Jesus gave us a spirit of intercession. Intercession means coming in on behalf of another. I love what you said, sister, this morning. I believe it's in the Holy Spirit. If you see somebody sick, don't you just want them to be raised up from a sickbed? But let me ask you this. What are you prepared to do that that miracle might take place? Are you prepared to go into the chamber, into the holiest of holies, into the very presence of God on their behalf and say, God, I need something for them. Not for me. I need something for them. I believe we're going to have an amazing year if we grab a hold of this principle that it's not about you. It's all about them. I believe we're going to see miracles take place, not because we want it, but because they need it. Hallelujah. The question is this morning, what are you prepared to do that you might see that vision fulfilled? You just can't sit back and say, yes, poor fellow. Sorry about it, mate, but nothing I can do for you. We have access to God, the greatest power in the universe, the God who is able to do all that we can ever think of or even imagine. We have access to God, and God is faithful. So this morning, saints, let's no longer make it about us. Amen? It's not about me and mine. But it's about the community that needs us to be intercessory for on their behalf. To come into the presence of God for them. Now, as I said before, sometimes people need more and have to learn how to be content. So this morning, I believe the prayer line should be along those lines. Now, you, may need, you may need more, so come. Come. Come and let's ask for more. But for those who have contentment in their life and know that they don't need any more, they have everything in Christ Jesus, I want you to come on somebody else's behalf. I want you to picture right now somebody who's sick, laying in their sickbed. And I want to ask the question, what will you prepare to do that you might see that person raised from that bed? Amen? Thank you for tuning in to Bowen Christian Family Centre's podcast channel. For any more information on our church, the preaching, or Jesus and Christianity, feel free to check out our church website, www.withsundayacc.com.au.